good. Well, we'll trust that that won't happen this morning. If you're visiting us maybe for the first time, my name is Tim, and it's my privilege to help us worship the Lord through the study of His Word. So, with that thought in mind, let's, uh, church family, let's go to the New Testament book of Matthew this morning. And chapter 16, if you could find your way to Matthew chapter 16, uh, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and uh, we'll make sure that you get a copy of God's Word for this time that we spend together worshiping in this way. Grab that little note page out of your bulletin, though. It looks like this. That will be of some help along the way. Matthew 16 this morning. And church family, for the past several weeks, uh, through church messaging and bulletins and by way of announcements and and even the foyer bulletin board, we have been preparing for what will take place this evening. The annual IBC vision and planning meeting that Bob mentioned at the very beginning. Around the fellowship of a good meal, we will gather tonight for the express purpose of thinking about our church, about our life together at IBC. And in view of that, I just sensed the nudge of the Holy Spirit to step away from our study of the book of Ecclesiastes just for today in order to, well, to help us begin to think about this evening now, to think about it this morning, to begin now to turn our hearts, our minds in what we might call a a more church-focused direction. Now, whether you'll be able to join us tonight at 5 o'clock, I sure hope that that would happen for you. If you call IBC home and and this is where you land, I hope you can make it. But even if that's not possible, just to spend a little time centered on Jesus' church is going to bless. It's going to encourage. It's going to remind us afresh of how truly special Jesus' church is and particularly how special this church is to him which is why I've asked you to join me this morning in Matthew 16. For here we are able to spend some time with one of the most profound teaching moments in all of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry, and at the same time, it is one of the most empowering and confidence-creating moments for Jesus' church of which we are a part today. So Matthew 16, we're going to pick it up at verse 13. I'll ask you to follow along as I would read for us. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we'll stop right there for the morning. Bible Church family, in our day, as you might well know, there are many who are asking questions about the church, about its future, skeptical, pessimistic, sometimes even fear-driven questions. I get brochures and pamphlets all the time in the mail 
inviting me as a pastor to attend some big conference on the church somewhere going on in the country. And there's, there's something going on all the time. And often these brochures come to me with some attractive, attention-grabbing graphics and some text on the front, and they'll have statements on them like this. The American Evangelical Church is at a defining crossroad. Pastor, are you ready for what's coming? Or has your church lost its identity? Let us help you find it. Or how about this one? Pastor, join us for the West Coast Reengineering the Church Conference. Reengineering the Church. Nah, I, think I agree. Oh, yeah. Those brochures, though, they're designed to try to entice me to sign up because there must be something wrong with the church and maybe with the church that I pastor. Well, Jesus here in Matthew 16 speaks into this climate, this, this pessimism, perhaps this fear, this skepticism or doubt about the church. And so for just a few moments, let's be reminded together upon whom and upon what Jesus' church and the Bible church in particular rests today. By doing so, I hope that your love for your Savior Savior is going to be invigorated just a little bit, that your faith in Jesus gets a shot in the arm, as it were, and that your perspective on the church and on this church, on Jesus' church worldwide, but in particular this church, will will be refreshed and there will be a, a new optimism, a new, new confidence perhaps even uh, as we leave this place today because we've spent some time in Matthew 16. Jesus' church is not teetering on the edge. It is not on the verge of collapse. In fact, we can say with great confidence that the very opposite is true. Matthew begins now here in verse 13 by telling us that Jesus is with his disciples up in the hill country just over the northern border of Israel in a beautiful location where the headwaters of the Jordan River spill down off of Mount Hermon. Jesus has taken his disciples here uh, after a pretty intense season of ministry. And, and I've actually been to this location. It's a, it's a gorgeous place in northern, just over the border in northern Israel. And, uh, and this is where Jesus has taken his disciples in order to give them a little bit of R&R. And so in a quiet moment, perhaps sitting beside these very waters, Jesus asks his disciples, the 12 who have been following him that he has called to himself, he asks them a question. Who are people saying that I am? There's a lot of speculation out there on the part of people concerning Jesus' identity in this time. Who do people think I am, he asks them. And their response, well, Jesus, some think you are a reincarnation of John the Baptist. That's what they're saying. Or maybe that you're one of the other Old Testament prophets, that you're, you're Jeremiah or one of those guys who has come back to life. Verse 15, and who do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? What about you, men? Who do you say that I am? Brothers and sisters, is this not the most important question 
anyone will ever have to answer in this life. Isn't it? No question that will ever be put before us is going to be more important than how we answer this question. And no one in the world from the beginning of time until the end of time gets to sidestep the answer to this question. We all have to answer it. And how we answer this question determines our eternity, doesn't it? It determines our eternity. That's how important it is. Jesus asked the most important question in this life, who am I to you? Now, sometimes when people hear questions, they can get confused, be on a different track, a different train of thought. Sometimes they completely miss where the question is going. Like the little girl in her kindergarten class, the teacher says, okay, boys and girls, here's the situation. A man is standing in a boat in the middle of a pond, and he's fishing. And he loses his balance. He falls in, and he begins to splash and yell for help. His wife hears him, knowing that he cannot swim. And so she runs down to the bank. Why do you think she ran down to the bank? And this one excited little kindergarten girl raises her hand and says, I know, I know, to get out some money. Yeah, yeah. She completely missed it, didn't she? She heard the question, but she didn't connect the dots. Well, that sometimes happens when questions get put in front of us. Not so with Peter, though, in this moment here in in Matthew 16. Jesus asks, who do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter, he gets it. He, He steps forward and he makes this incredible wonderful, rock-solid, timeless confession of Jesus. Now, Peter is oftentimes the mouthpiece for the, the 12 disciples collectively, the director of the apostolic choir, as one of the early church fathers liked to say of Peter. And Peter here makes this unrivaled, impossible to improve upon declaration concerning Jesus' identity. Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who you are, Jesus. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what Peter was saying was that Jesus was God's promised, predicted, long-awaited Messiah. The one who is fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully human. Priest, king, prophet, and savior. Jesus then says, in effect, Peter, way to go, man. You are blessed because this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father who is in heaven. Peter, you didn't come up with this on your own. It wasn't because you were uh, particularly insightful spiritually or that you had, you had antennas to pick up on the wavelengths that nobody else figured out yet. My Father opened the eyes of your heart and your mind. That's why you know who I am. And then comes verse 18. And a rock-solid promise from Jesus. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock 
I will build my what? My church. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church on this rock. Jesus doesn't say that he's going to build a Bible college or a seminary or a a radio ministry or a mission organization or anything else. But he does say, I will build my church. IBC family, this is such a difference-making, confidence-infusing, future-securing promise for us. It's worthy of our time this morning. It's a reminder to us that this church, Idlewild Bible Church, does not exist because there were some, some visionary folks in a Bible study back in the mid-70s who said there should be a church in Idlewild called Idlewild Bible Church. And it doesn't exist because of, of dedicated elders or because of longtime pastors or even because of all of us as committed people of faith. That isn't why Idlewild Bible Church exists. She exists because the God of the universe, the the master builder of heaven and earth said, a little town in the Southern California mountains needs my church. I will build it. Yeah? I will build my church there. And so IBC is a part of this amazing promise from Jesus. We exist because Jesus said, I will build my church. And because this promise is made by Jesus, there are, as we take a closer look at verse 18, no less than seven things that we can know for sure. Seven things that we can can always count on, always depend on, always run to and believe in and rest in as we think about the church and as we think about Idlewild Bible Church in particular, seven truths that we can run to out of verse 18. So on your note page, you'll notice I've written each of these sure things out for us. And just one of them by itself would be enough for us. But when we consider all seven together, it is truly incredible what Jesus says to us in this one sentence. Because the master builder is at work, there are seven things we know for sure this morning about Idlewild Bible Church, which is our church home. Seven things. First, she stands on a forever foundation. Amen is right. Jesus says, Peter, on this, what's the next word? On this rock, I will build my church. In other words, when Jesus thinks about his church, he thinks in terms of something really solid, something with permanence, in terms of something that endures and and, and, and has eternal roots, and it will be everlasting. He builds his church on a forever foundation, the rock. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, for more than 1,800 years, the Roman Catholic Church has seen this verse as the proof text supporting the teaching that the church was established upon the person of Peter. If you ask anyone with Catholic connections, who is the first pope? What are they going to say? Well, they're going to say Peter. And they might even add that it is from him that the succession of the papacy has descended from from this day all the way back. It all traces back to the person of Peter. Peter is the rock upon which Jesus builds the church. 
However, careful Bible students that you are here at IBC, you know that there is nothing in this passage to support that interpretation and nothing in the rest of Scripture to suggest it either. Yes? Yeah. In fact, here is what Jesus is actually doing. He employs a little bit of creative wordplay in verse 18. Jesus takes Peter's name, which in the Greek masculine form that we find here in verse 18 is the word Petros. So if you lived in Peter's day, you would have called him Petros. That would have been, you wouldn't have called him Peter. You would have said Petros. And Petros, Peter's name, means little stone. A little stone about like this, okay? So when you said his name, this is kind of what would come to mind, a little, a little stone. You are Petros. And then Jesus says, on this Petra, another Greek word, but a different Greek word, Petra, I will build my church. The word rock in verse 18, this rock is the Greek word Petra, which refers to an unshakable, immovable, monolithic, gigantic stone. A great mountainous mass of stone is a Petra. So does anyone recognize this? Yeah, what is this? Well, this is half dome at Yosemite. Of course, you know this. One of the most famous natural landmarks in in North America, we would say even in the world. It rises some 4,700 feet out of the valley floor. And my guess is that some of you have actually stood on top of half dome. Have any of you done that? Yes, we've got a few intrepid souls here in our midst. Yeah, yeah, memorable moment, right? Yeah, amazing. The sheer... Uh, northwest face of, of, of Half Dome is the height of two Empire State Buildings on top of one another. This thing is massive. And I show you this natural wonder to try to help give us a little better feel of what Jesus says in verse 18. Peter, you are Petros. You're a little pebble. And on this unshakable, immovable, monolithic foundation of Petra, I will build my church. Brothers and sisters, what is the rock? What is the Petra in verse 18? It is Peter's confession, isn't it? It's his confession. It's not this. I'm not going to build my church on you, Peter but I will build my church on your confession. The confession. You are God in the flesh. You are the Messiah. You are the deliverer. You are the Savior promised from long ago. You are the anointed one, he said in verse 16. And Jesus says in verse 18, Yes, Peter, and on this rock-solid truth about me, this forever truth about me, on this Petra, I'm going to build my church. Common sense and the Greek text affirm our understanding of Jesus' words in this way. But church family, even beyond that, in the Old Testament, God is oftentimes referred to as the rock, is he not? Sure, you know many verses that that speak to this very point. For example, Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my what? My rock. 
and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. God's the rock. Psalm 19.14 Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. What? My rock and my redeemer. Isaiah 26, verse 4, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is a what? An everlasting rock. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul will write in 1 Corinthians 3, 11, No one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And we say amen and amen. The forever foundation of the church is Jesus, and he is the one foundation that will, will, will never move. It will never be shaken. It will never crumble or give way so as to cause us to fear for the present church or for the future of the church. When that great old hymn writer wrote, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord, he must have been reading Matthew 16. Because that's what he's declaring. The same thing Jesus declares. And then on your note page, the second thing we know for sure about Idaho Bible Church today is that she has Jesus' personal involvement today. I will build my church, Jesus says. Not somebody else. I'm going to do it. I will be personally involved in the building of my church and in the building of Idaho Bible Church. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel good. Because Jesus says, I will build my church, there's a huge load that is taken off of our shoulders, is it not? Is there not? I mean, you know, as a pastor, Jesus, you're going to do the work. That's not me that does that. You build your church. That load is taken off of the elder team. It's taken off of, of the body, all of us, the hands, the feet that serve and reach out here at Idaho Bible Church. It's not up to us to build this church. Jesus said, I will build my church. We've got the promise of his personal involvement. We've not been left to our own strength, our own devices, to make this church something significant. That's Jesus' job. Amen? Amen. I am the master builder. That's probably why the Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Corinth and he says in 1 Corinthians 3.9 that we are God's fellow workers in the church. That's how he refers to us. We are fellow workers, which is to say that we join him in what he is doing, right? We join him. We get to share in what Jesus is building. We don't ask him to sign up and work with us on what we want to do. How many churches end up getting themselves in trouble because they miss that point? They embark off on some kind of a quest and say, oh, by the way, Jesus, would you like to join us? That's not how it works. The Lord Jesus was building his church long, long before we came on the scene, and he's going to be building his church long after we're gone, right? Unless he comes back soon, which would be an oh, amen. Yeah, yeah. But let's share in the work with him. But remember that he's the one doing the work. It's his. And then third, because Jesus is the one doing the building, we know for sure that what Jesus has started, he will finish. 
He's going to finish it. That assurance comes to us when Jesus says in verse 18, I will build my church. Jesus never makes empty promises. He never voices claims that that don't have any substance. With this little word will, we know that the job of the church is going to get done. It's going to happen. I mean, think about it. You or I can say with all the sincerity and bravado and confidence that we can muster, I'm going to get this done by such and such a time. I will do it. You can count on me. It's going to happen. I will make it happen. We can say that, right? But then without warning, something happens that is outside of our ability to control, and suddenly we can't make that that confident, bold assertion come into play. Who knows? The big one, the big earthquake that we always hear about here in California. Maybe that happens, and suddenly what I boasted about doing, I can't do anymore. The big one came. Or maybe the big one happens. And I'm sure not going to get to do what I said I was going to do. Someone else may do it, but it won't be me. Oh, but when Jesus says, I will. Well, that's different, isn't it? That's, that's as sure a thing as there is in the universe. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will do what? He's going to carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, until the day we see Jesus. Yes, God, amen. Jesus, as God, never lies and He never makes a promise that He does not keep. The job He has for us and for His church to do, it's going to get done because He's going to make sure of that. I will build my church. Then number four there on your note page, because the master builder is at work, the growth, the growth of the church is inevitable. Jesus says, I will build my church. Jesus' church is not a building made of wood or brick. It's made of what? It's made of us. It's made of people. People saved by God's grace through simple faith in Jesus' sacrificial death and his death-conquering resurrection. Amen? Absolutely. The church is its people. Peter, the very same Peter who made the great confession in verse 16, will many years after this, as he writes his epistle, he will say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that Christians are living stones in this building called the church. Living stones. That's what you are today. That's what I am. We are the building materials that Jesus uses to construct his church. We're going to talk more about this in just a second, but think about this with me for just a moment as we talk about the growth of the church being inevitable. Here in Matthew 16, there are 12 followers of Jesus up here in Caesarea Philippi sitting on the bank of the, the, the river with him. 12 guys. 40 days after Jesus' death and resurrection... 500 people watch him ascend into heaven. Ten days after that, in Acts chapter 2, on the day that the church is born, 3,000 people come to faith in Christ and are baptized, we're told. And then by the end of chapter 2 of Acts, verse 47, we read these words, And the Lord added to their number, what's the next word? 
daily those who were being saved. The Lord builds his church. Within 60 years, his building efforts will see the church spread throughout the Mediterranean and Middle Eastern world. A few short years after that, the, the gospel has already traveled up into Europe. And today, Jesus' church is global, is it not? And if the numbers are correct, church family, if the researchers are right, more than 100,000 people daily around the world come to faith in Jesus Christ. I will build, Jesus says. And he does. And you, brother, and you, sister, and Jesus, you are proof that that is true. You're the living stone that Jesus builds with. And then the fifth thing that we know for sure about IBC is that she is Jesus' very own blood-bought possession. We know this because Jesus says, I will build what? My, my church, my church. The little word my is Jesus' declaration of ownership. To say it another way, we know for sure that we belong to Jesus. And by virtue of the price he paid for us on the cross, this church of which we are part belongs to him. He owns it, nobody else. Recall again the words that we sang earlier when the worship team led us in that great old hymn, The Church is One Foundation. Do you remember these words? You sang them, and, and I heard them. They were beautifully sung. I'm not going to sing them because that would make this not a pleasant moment, but, but remember the words. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride, With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. It's a great thing to know that we are personally and individually the the possession of the God of the universe. But equally so to know that this church is God's possession. There are all kinds of businesses in our town And they all have their signs on their buildings or on the street, the highways of Idlewild. But those businesses to which those signs refer cannot say that they are the blood-bought possession of God, can they? The owner, the landlord is Jesus. They can't say that. I mean, even a Christian business owner can say that they've dedicated their business to the Lord, but their business is not a blood-bought business, is it? Blood bought this church. It's different, is it not? The next time you drive past the Bible church and you, you see the sign on Pinecrest out here or down on the highway, Idlewild Bible Church, where life and the Bible meet, remember that Jesus said, that's my church. I bought her. She's mine. We belong to him. How does that make you feel? Amen. <laughs> And yet, church, even as I use our road signs to make a point, we want to be sure we guard against the thought that Jesus' church is connected to a physical location or to a title deed to a piece of property. 
For we know for certain that IBC is not an address. Right? It's not an address. And that we affirm with the sixth assurance there on your note page. We, that is his people, we are his church, not the buildings, not the programs. We are the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And as Jesus responds to Peter, his church worldwide, and specifically his church called Idlewild Bible Church, is people. It's not programs, it's not methodologies, it's not campaigns, and it is certainly not physical structures like sanctuaries and Sunday school classrooms and pavilions and parking lots. And the reason we know that with such certainty is because of the word that Jesus uses for church. It's the Greek word ekklesia. It's a word made by bringing together two smaller Greek words. The Greek word ek, which means out of, or out, and then koleo, meaning to to call. And so what is ekklesia, the church? It is the called out ones. That's you. You are the called out ones. That's me. Idlewild Bible Church. We are the ekklesia, the called out ones. Through faith in Jesus alone, we have been called out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, yes? Through faith in Jesus. Out of slavery to sin and into the freedom of forgiveness through faith in Jesus. We've been called out of death and into life through faith in Jesus. Out of the world and into his church through faith in Jesus. We are again those living stones that Peter talks about. So for sure, we know that so long as IBC has her people, Jesus has his church in Idlewild, right? Even if the the building burns, the programs fall short, the government confiscates our property, or if we were to be all imprisoned and taken away from this place, there will still be Idlewild Bible Church because Idlewild Bible Church is her people. Her people. And the same is true for every other Christ-centered church on our mountain. We could lose all of this today or tomorrow, and we would still be the church, an Idlewell Bible church. How does that make you feel? makes me feel pretty good to know that. And then lastly, because Jesus is the master builder, and he's one doing work, we know that success is absolutely assured. We know that because what Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, on the solid rock truth of who I am, God in the flesh, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Absolutely assured of success. That's what you and I are part of this morning. You know, there aren't very many things that you can attach yourself to in this life that you can be involved in in this life and know with an absolute certainty that you will be better for it, uh, that you will have made the best decision, that you will succeed, that you will win. Very few things in this life bring that kind of certainty. Everything in this life has just enough uncertainty to cast a shadow of doubt over it and over the outcome. Not so with Jesus' church. 
Not even hell's gates can overcome his church, Jesus says. Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean? Well, let me ask it this way. In the context of a battle, just picture a battlefield and a battle for a moment. Are gates generally considered to be offensive or defensive in nature? Defensive, right? Gates are defensive. You're not going to hear a general on a battlefield say, let's build some gates and go attack that stronghold. You don't do that. That's not what you use gates for. Gates keep attackers out, right? So when Jesus says that the gates of hell will not overcome his church, he is saying that hell's gates cannot stand up to him, cannot stand up to the advance, the assault, the forward movement of his kingdom, which is his church. Hell's gates cannot stand against that. The power he imparts to his church blows through hell's gates. Now, how does that make you feel? Tiny little light of Bible church? Blowing through hell's gates? Oh, man. Hebrews 2.14 tells us that, that Jesus has rendered Satan, who had the power of death, powerless. Since the people are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. By embracing death, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death. Amen and amen. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus stands outside the tomb of a dear friend named Lazarus and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And if we are in Christ by faith, we live spiritually even if we die physically. Hell's gates. Jesus' church blasts right through them by his power. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57, this bold Holy Spirit given declaration. Death is swallowed up in what? Victory. I'm going to say that one more time because you really need to say it like you mean it. All right. Death is swallowed up in victory. That's right. Yes. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yeah. Hell's gates were stormed by Jesus at the cross and destroyed by him at the empty tomb. And we live in him and we are part of his true church. Fellow Christian, because that is true, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, not death, not Satan, not the demonic demonic realm, not hell's gates. Nothing can ever, ever overpower Jesus' church of which we are a part. Do you believe it? It's true. It's true about this little place called Idlewild Bible Church. If you flip that little note page over, a rock-solid promise from Jesus based on a rock-solid confession of Jesus gives his church and Idlewild Bible Church a rock-solid place to stand in Jesus. Amen. A 
rock-solid place to stand in Jesus today and tomorrow and indeed until He comes. His church stands on a forever foundation. She has Jesus' personal involvement. What Jesus starts, He finishes. The growth is going to be inevitable and unstoppable. IBC has been blood-bought. We are His church. It's not our buildings. It's not our programs. It's us, the living stones, and success is absolutely guaranteed.